This is the new LOL podcast, and I am Cameron Stewart. I've got one goal here. It's got three parts to challenge you, to encourage you, to provoke you. Stop talking about being a Christian and start living like one out loud. Let's get started. I had just moved to a new place and I met this guy who was an evangelist who had just finished an eight-month revival. And when we met, he asked me, what are you? And I'm looking at him and I was completely confused. Like, what am I? And he asked me again and I finally told him I had no idea what he was asking me. And then he said, are you an evangelist, a pastor, a prophet? What are you? And I have to say, I was probably just as baffled once he clarified his question because I thought, why would I establish my identity based on a calling or gifting, whatever that might be? But I soon learned that people do indeed do that very thing and it becomes somewhat of like a calling card or a badge of identification for them, almost like the declaration of their credibility. Now, I do understand the importance of agreeing with whatever the Lord says about you as it relates to your specific calling, but I also know at its most basic level, we all have one basic assignment, and Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are all called to be ministers of reconciliation, reconciling the world to Jesus Christ. So what does that even mean? The most basic assignment that we all have is to live our lives in such a way that it shows everyone we encounter that God has made the ultimate sacrifice of love by sending his son to die for us so that we can be redeemed, forgiven, and have access to relationship with him. Really, it's kind of just that simple. And that's really the basis of the main messages of my life, which is the challenge to live boldly for Jesus out loud every day. There, There is really no other reason for being. There's no other purpose. Now, I don't want you to feel convicted or condemned if you've not personally led a bunch of people to Jesus. Um, it's important for us to always remember and acknowledge that God designed us all to be a body that operates in concert with Jesus And he's our head at all times and in all things, right? So as it relates to leading other people to Christ, again, Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth, or King James says, gave the increase. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the increase, or causes the growth. So that means that you could be the one who planted the seed in someone's life or watered the seed. Just because you're not the one leading them through a prayer, God still works through us all in the process as he gives the increase. I personally can acknowledge that I have led very few people to Jesus in my 35 years of ministry. That might be hard for you to believe or imagine. But it's been very few. And one of the reasons why for me 
is that when people have come to me and said they want to give their lives to Jesus, I always, I always want to know why. I want to know exactly what they think they are signing up for. Because I feel like we haven't done the best job making it clear that there is a cost of discipleship. And as a result, I feel like we've somehow unwittingly made this thing all about what we will get from him or what he will do for us. Now, without question, there is much that he will do for us in the course of our relationship with him. But salvation is really not about God giving us a better, happier life here on earth where we can pray and get him to do whatever we want. At its core, salvation is about the exchange of our life for his life, where he takes all of our sinful unrighteousness and exchanges it for his righteousness in the eyes of God. And then that opens the door for us to have a true relationship with the one who created us. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul said, He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then, of course, Jesus said in John 17, 2 and 3, one of my favorite verses, that he had the authority to give eternal life to all that were his, and this is eternal life, that they, or we, may know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That's the core of salvation right there. But once that has taken place, there is most certainly a next step, and that is becoming a disciple of Jesus. Just because you pray a prayer and receive the forgiveness of sin, that does not make you a disciple of his. There are many people who hear the gospel of truth, pray that prayer, and walk away from that experience like they've received some magic talisman that now entitles them to have everything they want in life. But the expectation of God, once we exchange our lives for his, is that we would now become his disciples, his students, his followers. The expectation is that we would commit ourselves to learn from him, his heart, his desires, his principles, and commit to follow them instead of our own. Christianity was never meant to be some kind of add-on to the life we already have, but an exchange, my life for his life. So that means I exchange the things that I think are right for the things he thinks are right. I lay down what I want and what I want to do for what he wants me to do. Luke 14, 26 and 27 are probably some of the hardest scriptures in the Bible to read. Here's what Jesus said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's just a lot. I don't know. Maybe you don't read it like that. That's a lot. But let me be clear about that word hate. He's not talking about some kind of craziness like we see or define in people's behavior today. What that word means is to love someone or something less 
than someone or something else. So what Jesus is saying is, if you love anyone or anything at all, including yourself, more than you love me, you cannot be my disciple. If you are not willing to lay yourself down, your rights, your way, your everything at my feet and come after me, then you cannot be my disciple. Listen, that's in the book and that's in the red letters in the book. That's just intense. But it's the same thing that I talked about in one of the earlier episodes. God has always intended and expected for us to love him above all else with everything in us, our whole mind, our whole heart, and our whole strength. God has always expected to be who he is. He is God. He's above and before everything else. And when you first look at that or hear that, it may sound so restricting and so binding and so not fun or enjoyable. It sounds like God has no desire for us to have any enjoyment of any kind in our life. Like if we're not reading our Bible and going to church seven days a week and praying morning, noon, and night, then we can't be his disciples. But let me tell you what that really looks like. We've been masterful at trying to create a structure and a method, and a set of rules to define what we should do in relationship with him. And then when you can't follow all the rules, when you can't pray or don't pray an hour a day, fast once a week, read a chapter in the Bible every day, whatever the thing is, when you don't do it or can't do it, you feel like you are a failure and you've not pleased God. But don't forget what Jesus said in John 17. He gave us life so that we could know him. So that while there are disciplines that are helpful to us in growing in our relationship with him, the disciplines and devotions alone are not the point. The disciplines and devotions should be the means to get you to the end, which is to personally get to know him. When we get to know him, that's when things change. And what began maybe as looking like bondage and restriction and not fun, (laughs) that now becomes the joy and pleasure of your heart and your life. It's not like you don't enjoy doing other things, going to a game, going to a park, hanging out with your friends. It's just that There's nothing that you want to do without him. And if you don't feel freedom and comfort in doing that thing or saying whatever that thing is, if you don't feel that comfort of doing it with him and in his presence, you're just not interested in doing that thing at all. Now, listen, you don't start there. No, Nobody starts there. But as you spend time getting to know him, his voice, his heart, You begin to learn his ways of thinking and doing things. And as you say more and more, okay, Lord, I see that. I see how you see this. And I will do this your way because I want to please you. I agree that everything about you is right. Your way is perfect. Even when I don't like it, even when I don't completely understand your why. When you start saying that more and more, then you just become more and more transformed into his image. 
And that's really the goal, right? To be all in. In the end of that passage in Luke 14, Jesus tells about counting the cost of discipleship. He uses two examples and asks two questions. Number one, who decides to build a tower without first counting the cost to see if he can complete it? Then the second thing, what king goes out to battle against another king without first considering if he is strong enough or has what it takes to stand against him? In the same way, we need to take the time to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And it really doesn't take a lot of math to do it. I'm going to give you the answer. It'll cost you everything. Be very sure. God does expect you to lay your all down at his feet. D.L. Moody said this. The world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. I want to challenge you, family. Let us make up our minds that we will be that man or that woman who is completely laid down and surrendered to Jesus. Let us make that commitment that we will allow him to live boldly through us every day, no matter what the cost, out loud.